section four of the rover volume one number four this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the rover volume one number four edited by seba smith and lawrence labrie section four the stroller's tale there is nothing marvellous in what i am going to relate there is nothing even uncommon in it want and sickness are too common in many stations of life to deserve more notice than is usually bestowed on the most ordinary vicissitudes of human nature i have thrown these few notes together because the subject of them was well known to me for many years i traced his progress downward step by step until at last he reached the excess of destitution from which he never rose again the man of whom i speak was a low pantomime actor and like many people of his class an habitual drunkard in his better days before he had become enfeebled by dissipation and emaciated by disease he had been in the receipt of a good salary which if he had been careful and prudent he might have continued to have received some years not many because these men either die early or by unnaturally taxing their bodily energies lose prematurely those physical powers on which alone they can depend for subsistence his besetting sin gained so fast upon him however that it was found impossible to employ him in the situation in which he really was useful to the theatre the public-house had a fascination for him which he could not resist neglected disease and hopeless poverty were as certain to be his portion as death itself if he persevered in the same course yet he did persevere and the result may be guessed he could obtain no engagement and he wanted bread everybody who is at all acquainted with theatrical matters knows what a host of shabby poverty-stricken men hang about the stage of a large establishment not regularly engaged actors but ballet people procession men tumblers and so forth who are taken on during the run of a pantomime or an easter piece and are then discharged until the production of some heavy spectacle occasions a new demand for their services to this mode of life the man was compelled to resort and taking the chair every night at some low theatrical house at once put him in possession of a few more shillings weekly and enabled him to pursue his old propensity even this resource shortly failed him his irregularities were too great to admit of his earning the wretched pittance he might thus have procured and he was actually reduced to a state bordering on starvation only procuring a trifle occasionally by borrowing it of some old companion or by obtaining an appearance at one of the commonest of the minor theatres and when he did earn anything it was spent in the old way about this time and when he had been existing for upward of a year no one knew how i had a short engagement at one of the theatres on the surrey side of the water and here i saw this man whom i had lost sight of for some time for i had been travelling in the provinces and he had been skulking in the lanes and alleys of london i was dressed to leave the house and was crossing the stage on my way out when he tapped me on the shoulder never shall i forget the repulsive sight that met my eye when i turned round he was dressed for the pantomime in all the absurdity of a clown's costume the spectral figures in the dance of death the most frightful shapes that the ablest painter ever portrayed on canvas never presented an appearance half so ghastly his bloated body and shrunken legs their deformity enhanced a hundredfold by the fantastic dress 
the glassy eyes contrasting fearfully with the thick white paint with which the face was besmeared the grotesquely ornamented head trembling with paralysis and the long skinny hands rubbed with white chalk all gave him a hideous and unnatural appearance of which no description could convey an adequate idea and which to this day i shudder to think of his voice was hollow and tremulous and he took me aside and in broken words recounted a long catalogue of sickness and privations terminating as usual with an urgent request for the loan of a trifling sum of money i put a few shillings in his hand and as i turned away i heard the roar of the laughter which followed his first tumble onto the stage a few nights afterwards a boy put a dirty scrap of paper into my hand on which were scrawled a few words in pencil intimating that the man was dangerously ill and begging me after the performance to see him at his lodgings in some street i forget the name of it now at no great distance from the theatre i promised to comply as soon as i could get away and after the curtain fell sallied forth on my melancholy errand it was late for i had been playing in the last piece and as it was a benefit night the performance had been protracted to an unusual length it was a dark cold night with a chill damp wind which blew the rain heavily against the windows and house fronts pools of water had collected in the narrow and little frequented streets and as many of the thinly scattered oil lamps had been blown out by the violence of the wind the walk was not only a comfortless but most uncertain one i had fortunately taken the right course however and succeeded after a little difficulty in finding the house to which i had been directed a coal shed with one story above it in the back room of which lay the object of my search a wretched-looking woman a man's wife met me on the stairs and telling me that he had just fallen into a kind of doze led me softly in and placed a chair for me at the bedside the sick man was lying with his face turned toward the wall and as he took no heed of my presence i had leisure to observe the place in which i found myself he was lying on an old bedstead which turned up during the day the tattered remains of a checked curtain was drawn round the bed's head to exclude the wind which however made its way into the comfortless room through the numerous chinks in the door and blew it to and fro every instant there was a low cinder fire in a rusty unfixed grate and an old three-cornered stained table with some medicine bottles a broken glass and few other domestic articles was drawn out before it a little child was sleeping on a temporary bed which had been made for it on the floor and the woman sat on a chair by its side there was a couple of shelves with a few plates and cups and saucers and a pair of stage shoes and a couple of foils hung beneath them with the exception of little heaps of rags and bundles which had been carelessly thrown into the corners of the room these were the only things in the apartment i had time to note these little particulars and to mark the heavy breathing and feverish starting of the sick man before he was aware of my presence in his restless attempts to procure some easy resting-place for his head he tossed his hand out of the bed and it fell on mine he started up and stared eagerly in my face mr hutley john said his wife mr hutley that you sent for to-night you know ah said the invalid passing his hand across his forehead hutley hutley let me see he seemed to collect his thoughts for a few seconds and then grasping me tightly by the wrist said don't leave me don't leave me old fellow she'll murder me i know she will has he been long so said i addressing his weeping wife since yesterday night she replied john john don't you know me don't let her come near me said the man with a shudder as she stooped over him drive her away i can't bear her near me he stared wildly at her with a look of deadly apprehension and then whispered in my ear i beat her jem i beat her jem i beat her yesterday many times before i've starved her and the boy too now i am weak and helpless jem 
she'll murder me for it i know she will if you had seen her cry as i had you know it too keep her off he relaxed his grasp and sunk back exhausted on the pillow i knew but too well what all this meant if i could have entertained any doubt of it for one instant one glance at the woman's pale face and wasted form would have sufficiently explained the real state of the case you had better stand aside said i to the poor creature you can do him no good perhaps he will be calmer if he does not see you she retired out of the man's sight he opened his eyes after a few seconds and looked anxiously round is she gone he eagerly inquired yes yes said i she shall not hurt you i'll tell you what jem said the man in a low voice she does hurt me there's something in her eyes wakes such a dreadful fear in my heart that it drives me mad all last night her large staring eyes and pale face were close to mine wherever i turned they turned and whenever i started from my sleep she was at the bedside looking at me he drew me closer to him and said in a deep alarmed whisper jem she must be an evil spirit a devil hush i know she is if she has been a woman she would have died long ago no woman could have borne what she has i sickened at the thought of the long course of cruelty and neglect which must have occurred to produce such an impression on such a man i could say nothing in reply for who could offer hope or consolation to the abject being before me i sat there for upward of two hours during which time he tossed about murmuring exclamations of pain or impatience restlessly throwing his arms here and there and turning constantly from side to side at length he fell into that state of partial unconsciousness in which the mind wanders uneasily from scene to scene and from place to place without the control of reason but still without being able to divest itself of an indescribable scene of present suffering finding from his incoherent wandering that this was the case and knowing that in all probability the fever would not grow immediately worse i left him promising his miserable wife that i would repeat my visit next evening and if necessary sit up with the patient during the night i kept my promise the last four-and-twenty hours had produced a frightful alteration the eyes though deeply sunk and heavy shone with a lustre frightful to behold the lips were parted and cracked in many places the dry hard skin glowed with a burning heat and there was an almost unearthly air of wild anxiety in the man's face indicating even more strongly the ravages of the disease the fever was at its height i took the seat i had occupied the night before and there i sat for hours listening to the sounds which must strike deep to the heart of the most callous among human beings the awful ravings of a dying man from what i had heard of the medical attendant's opinion i knew there was no hope for him i was sitting by his deathbed. i saw the wasted limbs which had been distorted for the amusement of a boisterous gallery writhing under the tortures of a burning fever i heard the clown's shrill laugh blending with the low murmurings of the dying man it is a touching thing to hear the mind reverting to the ordinary occupations and pursuits of health when the body lies before you weak and helpless but when those occupations are of a character the most strongly opposed to anything we associate with grave and solemn ideas the impression produced is infinitely more powerful the theatre and the public-house were the chief themes of the wretched man's wanderings it was evening he fancied he had a part to play that night it was late and he must leave home instantly why did they hold him and prevent his going so he should lose his money he must go no they would not let him he hid his face in his burning hands and feebly bemoaned his own weakness and the cruelty of his persecutors a short pause and he shouted out a few doggerel rhymes the last he had ever learned he rose in bed grew up his withered limbs and rolled about in uncouth positions he was acting he was at the theatre a minute's silence and he murmured the burden of some roaring song he had reached the old house at last 
how hot the room was he had been ill very ill but he was well now and happy fill up his glass who was it that dashed it from his lips it was the same persecutor that had followed him before he fell back upon his pillow and moaned aloud a short period of oblivion and he was wandering through a tedious maze of low arched rooms so low sometimes that he must creep upon his hands and knees to make his way along it was close and dark and every way he turned some obstacle impeded his progress there were insects too hideous crawling things with eyes that stared upon him and filled the very air around glistening horribly amid the thick darkness of the place the walls and ceiling were alive with reptiles the vault expanded to an enormous size frightful figures flitted to and fro and the faces of men he knew rendered hideous by jibing and mouthing peered out from among them they were searing him with heated irons and binding his head with cords till the blood started and he struggled madly for life at the close of one of those paroxysms when a head with great difficulty held him down in his bed he sank into what appeared to be a slumber overpowered with watching and exertion i closed my eyes for a few minutes when i felt a violent clutch on my shoulder i woke instantly he raised himself up so as to seat himself in bed a dreadful change had come over his face but consciousness had returned for he evidently knew me the child who had been long since disturbed by his ravings rose from its little bed and ran toward its father screaming with fright the mother hastily caught it in her arms lest he should injure it in the violence of his insanity but terrified by the alteration of his features stood transfixed by the bedside he grasped my shoulder convulsively and striking his breast with the other hand made a desperate attempt to articulate it was unavailing he extended his arm toward them and made another violent effort there was a rattling noise in the throat a glare of the eye a short stifled groan and he fell back dead End of section four